Well, welcome this morning on this long weekend to Willow Park Church. Uh, if you're new or you're just visiting, my name is Pastor Phil. I have the pleasure of being the lead pastor here at the church. And uh, you've come on this weekend. Aren't you good? Well, lots of other people have gone off to exciting, dynamic, glorious places in jet planes to Saskatchewan. And... They've gone to visit relatives and you've come here. You are brilliant. And you're at church this Sunday morning. Well done. If the Lord comes back right now, you're going up. You don't have to worry. You're okay. So so it's good. Uh, So if you're new, uh, we want to give you a welcome. Please connect. Uh, I'm sharing this morning and then uh, will be, for those of you who don't know, um, I'll be going down to our South Campus. If I don't get a chance to talk to you, I'm sorry. And I'd love to shake your hand and get to know you as well. Pastor Steve, Pastor Tanya are out there uh, as well. And they'd love to connect with you. And you've met Curtis. So a really warm welcome this morning. You know, I love the fact that that salvation comes into our lives. Salvation is a beautiful thing. And I remember that day, and I've spoken about it many times, and I will keep speaking about it as a 15-year-old from a non-Christian background with no active faith. Suddenly, one day, Jesus Christ came into my life, and I experienced his power and his saving power at the very depth of who I am. And salvation is an amazing moment. Every one of us that may be gathering here who knows the Lord Jesus as Lord and Saviour and the gospel has changed their lives, know that you went from not knowing God to knowing God. Know that you went, as it were, from darkness into life. That you were blind, but now you see. That that God became real to you. Maybe you're visiting and you don't realise this, but the Christian message is about a message of transformation in In other words, you go from never experiencing God and wondering about the meaning of life to salvation where suddenly the creator of the universe becomes incredibly close to you and you enter into relationship with the living God. And this is what the heart of Philippians, the joy that we have is rooted in our relationship with Christ Jesus and it is uh, glorious. But I want to talk to you about the purpose of this relationship that we have with God and the purpose that is birthed and that is at work in our lives. Because the danger is is that we become a Christian, we get saved, we think we've got therefore the ticket to get to heaven and to live eternity for eternity and then we, we, we forget that actually you are saved for a purpose. You are saved for a reason. And that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning, on this weekend, is about the fact that we are saved for a purpose, that we're saved for a reason, and that the joy of this purpose is that God works it out in our lives step by step, and he is present in our lives. It talks about, work it out, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is uh, from Philippians 
And, and of course, it's, it's chapter 2 and verse 12, if you're following in your Bibles. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, he talks about the fact that we have to work it out, your salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. Now, this phrase in Philippians, as we start to look at this, isn't to do with the reality that we're working it out to gain salvation. Because you can't gain salvation by, by, by working it out. You don't gain salvation by how religious you are, who, or how often you go to church, or uh, how often you just read your Bible. It's not about working our way to gain salvation. Salvation is a gift from God. God given to each one of us. Salvation is a gift we receive by faith when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation happens when we say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins and come into my life and change me. And he does. I've never doubted that when I preach the gospel, which I do regularly, that when I invite people to give their lives to Jesus, they do. Because it's not to do with my persuasive words. It's to do with the power of the gospel impacting on hearts and lives. We can forget that. But here it says, work out your salvation. So what does it mean to work it out? Well, you see, in the Greek language, the word work it out helpfully gives us three very clear images. And I want to talk about these three pictures, these three images. Now, first of all, how many of us as parents have not struggled when our kids come home? I've got uh, two girls, twins. If you're new to Willow Park, you'll know that they feature a lot in my sermons. They're in grade 11, so they feature a lot in my prayers and intercession. And... And, and, and when they come home, excited in grade 10, when it was pre-calculus grade 10, math, as you say. I say math. But, but math, and you look at this and they bring this home and they start working on it and you engage and you, you look at it and you just haven't got a clue what's going on. You've got to try and work it out. It's tough. You know, I praise the Lord for YouTube and very strange people who want to put themselves on it to explain calculus. I mean, they're amazing. And there they are, some odd person. I said, well, have you Googled it? Surely you're going to Google it because I don't know what's going on. And then it gets worse when our 13-year-old daughter comes home with homework. And Michelle and I look at each other. We haven't got a clue what that's about, that math homework, because we're more, more the arts. And, and we look at this math and then we go, oh, hmm. And we look at the twins who are 17 and go, well, do you want to earn some money uh, paying... I'll pay you to tutor. It works beautifully. And so, um, so they earn a little bit of money. We get out of it. But the, the, thing, the thing with the formula is, is this picture in the Greek that he's saying, work out your salvation. In other words, you have to sit down. You have to be willing to engage in the process to work through the math, to work through the formula as a Greek student would and understand how things connect and work together. And this takes a sense of energy, activity and focus in your life. Listen, if your Christian life... <laughs> 
is drifting and you're wondering why God's not working in your life, it could be that you're not working it out. You're not working your salvation out in the way that the Lord wants you to work it out. See, that's what it means. Another helpful picture for working it out comes from the ancient picture of a a mine. And they would go into the mines and they would discover, I guess, what we would call a a seam of precious uh, minerals or metals, gold, or if in Africa they mined with diamonds at that time and they would have mined... uh, ore and copper and so on and they would and coal and they would go in into the mine and they would they would work it out now what did this mean in the ancient context it meant that they would they would go in and they would ensure that every precious stone ore or mineral was worked out of the mine so they could gain the biggest benefit from it And salvation, again, is something that we step into and we have to be willing to work it out. The very nature of who we are, within the depths of who we are. Because God wants us to bring the very best of who we are and his plans and his purpose to work it out. And believe me, you are special in the sight of God. And you have been saved for a reason, which I will talk about. And God has a purpose for your life. But don't let your Christianity drift. Don't let it become complacent. Don't become a Christian that is just full of you know, inactivity. But realize that you were saved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God is at work in your life. And you were saved for a reason. And he wants you to work it out and bring the best out of you for the calling that he's placed within your life. So... A third analogy is, is one we're familiar with in Canada farming. And you, uh, you would work it out on the field or the land to ensure that you get the biggest harvest. You would approach that field in such a way that you would work it out so that when you sow and then it grows and then you reap that you gain the largest harvest from that field. See what the Lord is trying to say to us. Jesus looks at your life and says, I've saved you. Salvation is a gift that I've given you, not by your works, but now you're on this journey to the coming age, to to heaven itself. But I want to tell you something. You've got to work it out. And a little bit of fear and trembling. Yes, yes. What does it mean by fear and trembling? Well, in, in Paul's mind, the great writer, he's probably thinking of, you know, the moment on the mountain of Moses when the glory of the Lord came down. It's to do with not the kind of fear of a rattlesnake in your bedroom, which would create a bit of a problem for me. But it's the fear that is awesome, that is powerful, that you are in the presence and the glory of God. And yes, God is so great. He is so glorious. He is so faithful that you want to work this salvation stuff out. You want to grow. You want to develop. I went to um, uh, Toronto this week to speak at the pastor's conference. And when I was there, uh, I tried to get to Niagara Falls. I failed miserably because 
Well, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit cheap. And, and it's only 100 kilometers, but it was like going to cost me like $160. Now, I, don't worry, I have been there before three times. I love going there. I love it. I love standing, so I didn't end up going, but I tried. But when I get to Niagara Falls, which I suppose if I got there, would have made this sermon illustration a lot better. But in the past, when I've been there, I... I'm overwhelmed. I mean, it is a wonder of the world. And I stand at Niagara Falls and I hear the noise. I see the spray. I see the power. And I'm overwhelmed by it. By its immenseness. It terrifies me a bit. And even, I first went in the 80s and I got so close where you, you didn't have all the security back then and people were still going over in barrels. That's, that's, that's great, many Manitobans. And um, they're loving it. And, and you've got all the people that have done it. Crazy, but amazing, terrifying, and yet wonderful, overwhelming. And yet, and yet you've got to be there to take it in. There are places in the world that create that feeling as we stand there, stand in Banff and look at the Rocky Mountains, and you get a sense of the grandeur of God. And this is fear and trembling. The saviour of the world has, has caught hold of you. Don't waste what God has put in your life. Let me explain this a bit more. Work it out. <clears throat> Romans 8 and 29 talks about this. Uh, it's a fabulous verse. It says, for those God foreknew, that's you and I, he also predestined. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's the firstborn. He's the son. And that we were foreknew. He saw us. He understands us. He sees us in eternity. In his sovereignty, he knows about you and I. And he predestined, he chosen that we have been chosen for the for salvation has come to us. It is glorious. It is magnificent. And we've been chosen to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, in my life, I have been chosen to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we think this is sort of just simply to do with our character. I want to conform to Jesus Christ. And therefore, you know, I want to be meek and mild. I want to conform to Jesus Christ and I want to wander through Rutland and put a lamb over my shoulders and look like that cliche view of Jesus Christ, which is beautiful. But you know, there's so many sides to Jesus Christ. There's the teacher, there's the giver. There's the one that cared for the poor. There's the one that trained the twelve. There's the one that preached on the hill. There's the one that went alone in the wilderness to pray. There's Jesus who knew the Father's heart and lingered in the presence. There's Jesus who when he would look at you would bring forgiveness and life. <clears throat> you see, I don't know what conforming to the image of the Jesus Christ means in your life. 
For me, it doesn't mean that God takes away my character, but it means that my character conforms to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want to miss that. I want to work that out. I want to conform to him. I want to walk with him. I want you to conform and know that Jesus is with you, working in you. He foreknew you. He loves you. And he wants to draw the very best out of you. He wants you to solve that formula with him. He wants that relationship where you can know that God is leading you and God is guiding you. We're all very different people and yet we are all loved completely by Christ and he He wants us to work it out. See, there's a plan. Ephesians 2 and verse 10 talks about workmanship. For we are God's handiwork. Of course, you all know that that phrase is the only time it's used in the whole of the New Testament. But for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus, to do good works. So if he foreknew me, and I am working out my salvation, and I have been created, and I am his handiwork, I am molded and shaped and carved and loved by him. I don't know if you've ever made anything from scratch, and how much that item means to you. I guess I was about 12 years old. I'm going to admit this this morning. Just because you've come to church on a long weekend and you are the nicest and godliest people in Kelowna is this. I was about 12 and, and I went to school, got an artistic school. A, um, it was a, a private school, English. <laughs> I was expelled. And... Um, <laughs> And then I got saved. But when I was there, we, we carved a lute from scratch. So we had a big piece of wood. Now, if you don't know what a lute is, it's, a, it's an instrument, like a guitar, I guess, from the Middle Ages. And, and, and so you play it on your knee. And so we, we took the solid wood, the oak, and so on, and we had to... Followed. The whole class did this. It took us about, about 15 months. And we carved it. We made it. We sanded it down. I mean, it was the 70s. What more can I say? And we worked at it and we created it. And finally it was finished. And we all played green sleeves together at a concert. <laughs> Madness. Um, but I, I, I love the fact that from scratch... I created an instrument that was solely from my, from my craftsman skill, which isn't very good. And even not only did I create it, but then I played something on it. You see, that is you. You are God's handiwork. He has molded you. He is shaping you. He is carving your life. And he wants to make sure on the tune of your life that you play something that counts. Good works. 
I don't know what your good works are. Our good works vary. You know, I guess my good works in my character is being somebody that communicates the gospel and invites people. I love to share Jesus. Those are part of my good works. My good works are, I I find it very easy to encourage people and to encourage people to believe in themselves. I'm blessed with that. Uh, You know, if you look at my my wife, her good works, uh, she loves to write and she loves to serve people in our Hope Project and welcome people and connect with those who are on the fringe of society. Good works. I don't know what your good works are, but I know that you've been carved and created and God knew you so that you would play a tune that is directly related to you in this world. So work out your salvation. Don't just drift in your Christianity. Take it seriously. Get into the math. Work out what God's doing in your life and make your life count for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to use two cliches now. I'm sorry. They are really big cliches, but I like them anyway. You see, you are so uniquely made. You know, when they talk about a snowflake, they say that a snowflake, everyone is perfect and glorious, but everyone is different. Even in a Saskatchewan snowstorm, if you catch every snowflake, apparently, and um, somebody's done this, they're all unique. Every flower that you may take a picture of, and that every Monday, Michelle and I go on our walks and we do a bit of photography, we have prayer, we have our Sabbath. Climb a local hill, a trail, and there's always a picture of a flower. But that you can guarantee that for all the hundreds of pictures of flowers that we've taken, everyone is beautiful and unique. Have you forgotten your uniqueness in the kingdom of God? Have you forgotten that you're not a, a cheap imitation of something else? You are God's, God's art is in you. And his salvation has called you. And you are loved. You are loved by God. And he is with you. Let's move on to verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. You see, there are actions and attitudes and the way we approach life that create problems for us working out our salvation. A bad attitude can create problems in our journey to the promises that God has for us. You see, Paul's brilliant. And under the inspiration of the power of the Holy Spirit and God's divine power, he's writing this. You can hear the theologian in him. You can hear the the brilliant Pharisee who is a a great thinker. and, And they know exactly what he's talking about. By using the word grumbling and arguing in the same sentence, they know exactly what he's talking about. I guess you do as well. And if you don't know, he's really talking about a group of people that came out of Egypt. 
that should have taken them a matter of weeks to get to the promised land, but because of their grumbling, because of their attitude, because of their approach, because of their rebellion to God, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Your attitude will affect God's workmanship in your life. It's as simple as that. When we focus and apply the way that the world is. He goes on to say, so that you may become blameless and pure. That is his goal. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Warped and crooked. Hey, we know that we live in a warped and crooked generation. There's a lot of angry people out there, aren't there? There's a lot of people that are willing. You may do a simple mistake driving, but there's a lot of anger that comes out. A lot of sign language communicated. And in BC, you are lovely and we are lovely people. I'm now, of course, Canadian. <laughs> but you... you it, you see the rage. You see the anger. A crooked. The world is playing a massive dark game of twister where they are trying to get round all that God has and rebelling against God's heart. But you know there is such picture here of, of the Israelites in the wilderness, of their journey, of them having the promise of God, the power of God, but allowing their grumbling and their anger and their character to pollute them and to poison them. And they don't reach the land because all the time they'd rather please themselves than to work out what God is doing in their lives. They'd rather please themselves than to allow God to come and to work it out. And I've, I had to I spent a number of hours praying on Saturday about this scripture. And I had to go even and, and repent and say, Lord, where are you speaking to me? And where should I follow? And where am I failing to, to work out what God is doing in my life? Because I'm, you know, a procrastinator spiritually. I know what God's laid on my heart like he laid it on Nehemiah. I know what I should be about in that, that, that formula. I know the kind of harvest I should be working for. I know the kind of person I should be. And yet I'm not working it out. Because we can live so easily. And there's a danger here. Then you will shine among them like stars. In the sky. You'll shine like stars. In your life. In the inky black sky. The stars shine. And I guess in this generation what God is looking for is people who are willing to shine. That are different. That you're willing to shine for the King of Kings and shine for the Lord of Lords. You see, they knew exactly what this meant when he used the word stars because Paul knew this. This is related to Daniel chapter 12 verse 2. A most glorious 
verses. In fact, this is the first real time where we see in the verses the, the promise of the resurrection of the dead. And Christ was the first of the resurrection of the dead. But in this, <coughs> in verse 2, they use the verse stars. Now, what is going on in Daniel um, uh, 12. And all of Daniel, you know, he talks about the future, he talks about Israel, he talks about the end of the age. But here, he talks about them shining as stars. Why? Because they're in captivity. They are slaves. They're at the Babylon. They're by, you know, by the rivers of Babylon, the Tigris and so on. And, and what he's encouraging them to do is even in Babylon, live right by God's law and shine before men. Because it's important the way that we live now. Why is it important? Because it's connected to the way that we will be judged in the day of resurrection. And so we want to shine. So let me explain it this way. This is my second point. I'm clearly not going to finish this sermon. But I've enjoyed it. But you know, God must work in us before he can work through us. Don't work out your salvation. Let him keep working in you. Let him keep doing things in your life. Be available for him to work through you. And that you will know, because why? God is more interested in, interested in the workman than he is in the work that we do. And I love this thought. I love the thought that God is interested in the kind of person I am. Because the kind of person that he works in me now is, is, is an image, uh, is a preparation for the kind of person I will be when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns. And I've got to work out my salvation. I've got to work out that gold in my life. I've got to allow the joy of the journey to consume me. I've got to allow the Lord to come and to fill my life, even through the tough times. You see, in the rest of this sermon, I'm going to talk a little bit, and I won't do it now, about what it means to foster that working out of your salvation. I, I, I talk about, you know, that there are, there are forces that work to stop us. Romans talks about the fact that there's a flesh the passions of the flesh and the fruit, things that distract us, things that drag us away. Ephesians 2.2 talks about the reality of the, of the spiritual realm of darkness, if you like, the devil, the powers of darkness that want to 
rob you of living in the fullness of God. So there's flesh and the devil. And how do we combat this? Well, through the word of God and through receiving the spirit and the, of the scriptures deep down into our lives, into our hearts. And I preach a lot about that because if you want to hear God's voice, consume God's word. A prayer. You know how I love prayer. Prayer is where it's, where it's forged and worked out. And, 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 and in the New Testament, it is clear that prayer is divinely ordained as a sense of spiritual power for our lives. That prayer is a rhythm. Bible study is a rhythm. And it works within our lives. But you know, this is the hardest one. Suffering. You see, I have noticed this. That I become more like Christ... Theologians will tell you that you become like Christ if you, if you study. True, study brings illumination. You become more like Christ if you have a crisis experience. Like you're at camp and you're preaching and you come to the front and you're weeping and God fills you with the Holy Spirit and you're repenting. That changes your character. But I want to tell you, as many theologians have pointed out, that when we travel through the fiery furnace of suffering and we have nothing to hold on to, it's then that we discover God's voice and God's presence like we've never experienced it in our lives. Peter said it this way, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening in you. Don't be surprised. And when I've been through the fiery ordeal and you've been through the fiery ordeal and we've suffered, if you've held on to your faith, boy, what God does in the middle of that when you've got nothing to hold on to except him. I don't know what that is for you. It could be illness. It could be... It could be a breakdown of relationship. It could be a struggling uh, job environment. It could be numerous things. Kay Warren, who is married to probably one of the most famous pastors in America, Rick Warren, their son who suffered with mental health issues, schizophrenia, Many of you understand that, those issues in our family, and as Michelle and I do. It's a painful journey. And that terrible day happened when their dear son took his own life. When she wrote about Philippians 2 and this verse I preached on, and about suffering and being God's workmanship, she said two things about this verse in her book. She said, in the darkest of times, and we travel through suffering, we realize, number one, we have a real wake-up call and an audit of how strong our Christianity really is. We can see where we're weak. We can see how fragile our faith is. And so it's very much a sense that when we travel through difficult times, we see the deficiency in our own faith. And that shocks us. But it should cause us to be on our knees before the living God. She said, secondly, it's a time in darkness to shine like a star. 
Because the whole world is watching and saying, well, what difference then really does your Christianity make? At the darkest time, the world watches to see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And if you've ever watched Rick Warren's interview with CNN, it is the most moving moment when they admit and how they travel through their darkest time. So don't drift. Don't fight against. Allow the Lord to mold your heart. You've got too much to give. God has plans of good works for you. And the joy of being on the journey with Christ is magnificent. I won't change it for the world. You're on the greatest journey that's going to lead you face to face with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So would you just get right with God? Would you just live the way that your salvation calls you? Would you allow your character to be formed by him? Would you? You know you're saved. You've got your ticket. But if it's all about your ticket to heaven... Oh, that's worrying because we are being saved and we're working it out as well. Don't miss all the good things he has for you. Let's stand together. A perfect way to finish can encourage you to look up to God of heaven. You know, worship is vertical. Just read the book of Revelations and see what kind of God, worship God likes. Heartfelt. Giving him glory. Focusing on him. Tell him today, take this old song as a, a prayer. This is my desire to honour you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. Will you get the best out of the mine of your life? Will you seed the field of your heart to bring the greatest harvest? Work out your salvation. Will you work out the formula with God the Father who knows how to do the calculus of your heart? He understands everything. Will you allow him to work within you and do that work. And don't give in to the way of the grumbling, the crooked, twisting generation that loses the promise. Focus on him now.